0: Good morning. Good to be with you. I, I guess we're officially in that time of year where we start using winter imagery in our songs, and it was very cold this morning. Um, if, uh, if if you're visiting, really glad that you're here. We are uh, we preach through books of the Bible here as a church, and right now we're in a series in Exodus, the story of uh, of Moses and leading the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt into the promised land, where we are picking up Moses and Aaron. They've just gone for the first time now to Pharaoh and asked him to let their people go, which um, there's a very catchy song, if you guys know it. Like, I think this must have been like a song in churches a long time ago, like, let my people go. Like, you guys know that one? Uh, I don't know it from that because I'm only 30, and uh, I know it from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. There was like an episode where they sang it and it really stuck out to me. But anyways, um, the, the people go to Pharaoh. They say, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. And then he makes the lives of the Hebrew slaves in Israel mu- or in Egypt much, much worse. He, he punishes them uh, attempting to crush their spirits so that they wouldn't even think about leaving or rebellion or anything like that. And it works. The, the, the Hebrews are crushed. Moses is confused, and initially, like, there as this pretty hopeful moment when Moses and Aaron come to them and they say, listen, God sent us here. He's heard your cries. He knows your suffering. He's going to lead you to freedom. Big kind of hopeful moment, and then suddenly, they're suffering a terrible disappointment. Uh, It feels like a mild word to use, disappointment, but that's essentially what it is. The vision that they had for the future and what's going to happen and what they're going to experience, uh, it doesn't come true, and it feels like it probably never will. I mean, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they're this overwhelming thing in their lives that they don't have any ability to sort of fight against, and so, uh, you know, no two people are exactly the same, but every person knows what disappointment feels like. You know, especially my mom, Uh, (laughs) just kidding. I was a little dark, right? No, my mom (laughs) loves me and uh, and I think she's proud. Uh, No, but everyone knows what disappointment feels like and how we handle the disappointment that we encounter reveals a lot about us. Uh, How you handle disappointment, big things, small things, whatever it is, Pretty revealing about who you are, right? Reveals, revealing about your personality. If uh, if you're like more of an uptight person, or if you're more uh, a little bit detached, um, maybe uh, you're someone who's like more given to anger, or you're more given to grief and just shutting down. Like you can kind of figure things out about yourself, which are good things to know. They're they're good to know because they give you th- you know here's what I could be working on for myself, or here are certain strategies that are going to be helpful for me, or strategies that are going to be unhelpful for me and just the way that I'm wired. uh, They're good to know, but the really essential thing that disappointment can teach you about yourself is more fundamental than that. Disappointment can show you where your hope really is and what your life is really about. Let me say that one more time. Disappointment can show you um, where your hope really is and what your life is really about. Those are good things to know about yourself. Because anyone can say the words like, this is what my life is about, right? And Christians do this, or people in church do this, where anyone who goes to church and kind of knows the right things to say, they can say uh, my hope is in Jesus and my life is about Him. It's about His glory and His mission and building His kingdom and making disciples and all those things. You can say the right words but it might not actually be the reality uh, of what's What's really true, um, it, it's easier to say those words when things are going well for you than when things are not. All right? And that's what disappointment does. Disappointment its like shaking a Snapple. Uh, I don't know when the last time you guys have had a Snapple. is. I haven't had one. I was just realizing this as I wrote the sermon in a super long time. But uh, I don't, are they still making Snapples? Probably, right? They taste good, and they educate you. So those are two good things. Um, one thing I have against Snapple is if you ever have the misfortune to like turn it upside down, there's that like gross sludge, like at the bottom. You know what I'm talking about? And when you shake it, and then maybe you're supposed to shake it, and it like makes it come up in the whole thing, and and you're supposed to drink it, which seems even grosser to me. Um, but maybe that's where the flavor comes from. Anyways. Disappointment is kind of like it shakes you up like that. All the things that have settled down deep beneath the surface, it makes them rise up. Uh, and another illustration I really like, I think it'll be helpful on this topic, is if I have a cup, and you bump into me, w- like whatever spills out of the cup, like you're responsible for bumping into me. I'm responsible for whatever comes out of the cup. Does that make sense? Like. If water comes out of the cup, it's because I'm the one who put water inside of it. If coffee comes out of the cup, it's because I'm the one who put coffee inside of it. It's not gonna be Snapple. Um, Whatever comes out is the stuff that I already put in there and you're not, like you didn't put anything in my cup. You're just causing whatever's in there to to come out. And so in our lives, we're not responsible for when we get bumped into or knocked down or the things that happen to us. We're not responsible for those things, but we are responsible for whatever comes out of us when we do get bumped into. Uh, you can't say to someone, honestly, you make me so angry, or uh, or, or th- this one that people say, you know, because of uh, the way that she's dressed, she made me have all these lustful thoughts. Uh, you can't honestly say those things, because those things are already inside of you, they might have become the event that caused them to, to come out, but they're already in there. Like the, the, the stuff that makes up that anger, the stuff that makes up that lust, that's already in you. This, this is something that abusers say, you know? Abusers will say, look at what you made me do. They didn't make you do that. The evil thing that you did, that's inside you. That's your responsibility, This is what Jesus teaches. In Matthew 12, he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's what's inside of you. That's what inevitably comes out. And you always see this whenever someone says something, they get caught saying something horrible. Just a hateful, awful thing that they say. And they always give the same lame apology where they go, you know, I'm so sorry I said that. Um, That's not me. You know, that's not who I am. I'm not that person. And it's such a lame excuse, because it it very much is you. (laughs) Like, it wasn't anyone else, you know? It it is you, and that's not to say that you can't repent or feel remorse or change or grow. You can, but you at least need to have the honesty to acknowledge your own responsibility. Like, that has to be the starting point for any of that growth and change and repentance. Uh, You can't just deny that it was ever there. That's That's what was in you. It's the same thing with the deep things that disappointment reveals about us. It can show you where your hope really is and what your life is really about. Uh, and you can find those answers in the midst of your disappointment by asking some questions. You can ask, um, what is it that I think about? Like, what do are, what are my thoughts go to? And where do I go for help? Where do I go for support? So what are my thoughts filled with? And what do I turn to for support? And what you might learn as you ask those questions and you're in the middle of your disappointment, what you might learn is your hope isn't actually in something that's strong enough to carry you through the worst things that life can throw at you. Like the thing that your hope might be in, it might be totally inadequate and it doesn't help you at all. And, and you're, just, you're just on your own, you're, you're helpless in it. Um, might teach you that what you're hoping is inadequate, and it might teach you that what your life is about, the thing that you're really living for, uh, might not be all that meaningful or fulfilling. It it might be something more shallow or vain or temporary. Um, You know, you might be living for something that this disappointment came in, and it took away your meaning, it, it took away the main thing that your life is about. D- do you have the, the honesty to acknowledge what's really in you? Not giving excuses, not giving justifications, getting defensive. The honesty to acknowledge what's really in you. You have to start there before you can experience any change or any growth. And Here's what we see in Exodus 5. In Exodus 5 is when all these awful things happen to the Hebrew slaves and then Uh, To Moses. And so in Exodus 5, verse 20, in in response to the worst treatment and then their complaints falling on deaf ears to Pharaoh, uh, this is the Hebrews, they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And then we see Moses how he responds to this, uh, not only the worsening situation, but also the guilt of being blamed and feeling like he's the one who's, who's really caused this, even though he's just trying to be faithful to God and do what God says. And then verse 22, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. Um, we don't see enough in these verses to know where the Hebrews and Moses might be turning to for support. Like Moses turns to God, but he's he's going to God to complain, not um, not to make God into his support. And and that's okay. We talked about that last week when we looked at Moses and we looked at Job. Like God is strong enough for you to throw all of your your doubt and your confusion and your pain at him and just be real honest about those things and bring those to him. You can do that. Um, but, but we see like no one is turning to God to be their support. They're, they're actually turning away from him and, and they're blaming him. They say, we tried this, we tried hoping in you and it didn't work out. And, and so their hope is not in him and, you know, God, I, I trust you. Uh, God, would, would you give me peace? God, would you show me a way out? God, would you, would you give me strength? Would you support? They're not turning to him in faith as their support. Um, we don't know exactly what they might be turning to uh, instead, but what we do see pretty clearly is where their thoughts are going, what they're, um, what they're focusing on in the midst of this. Look at the Hebrews. You've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh. You you put a sword in his hand to kill us. Moses to God says, why did you send me? Like, why am I here? Why do I have to be a part of this? Since I came to Pharaoh, he's done evil. Uh, They're they're thinking about themselves. Their, Their thoughts are full of themselves and what their situation is and what they're experiencing, and that's understandable. Like, it's a little bit petty to be like, man, Moses and the Hebrews, they're self-absorbed in this situation. Like, it, you, it makes sense because of what they're experiencing, right? Like, anyone would be thinking about the same things. Um, but there is still a problem in that. There's something that, you know, if, if there was a little bit of a twist, a little bit of a change here, it'd be much better for them. When something goes wrong for you and you start complaining to God, and, and we all do this, uh, everyone's done this, and you start going, God, why did you do this to me? Why did you let this thing happen? Uh, and we start thinking, like, here's what I wanted, here's what I pictured my life to be, here's what I was hoping for, and, and I'm just not getting it, and so God, why? Why the injustice? Why is it not going the way that I want it to? Uh, basically, you know, God, you're messing up my plans or you're allowing my plans to get messed up understandable to think that way, especially with big things. Like, if you think that way over, like, your car didn't start in the morning, like, you need to grow up a little bit. Um, but, like, the big things. you lost your job, there's, there's a health crisis, a financial crisis, the, the loss of someone close to you. Um, it makes sense. There's still something that is lacking about that being your, your default and the way that your thoughts are terminating. And so let's start reading in Exodus 6 because God starts to speak here and he starts to guide Moses into a better way of understanding what's happening and guiding us. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll kind of come back to this point later. What's really wrong with just kind of thinking about yourself? Here's what's happening for me. Here's why I'm upset with it. Here's what I was hoping would happen in my life. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to that. But Exodus 6, verse 1 says this But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit in harsh slavery. All right? Notice, notice what God is doing here with. Moses. Moses wants to talk to God about, you know, here's what's happening for me and my life and these people, and, and here's what's what's happening and what we're experiencing and, and all the things that we hoped for and we were picturing, they're not coming around. But God takes Moses and he makes him take a step back and zoom out, not talking about Moses' plans and, and what Moses is experiencing, but kind of zooming out to God's plan and where he's fitting into the midst of something that's actually much bigger than himself. Right, God's plans for what's happening, it starts much earlier than Moses, and it lasts a lot longer than Moses sticks around. And he's just a a part of it. And this day, this day where he's experiencing this disappointment, that's a small part of the story of everything that God's doing in Moses, in his life. Like God goes all the way back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. These are the patriarchs of Israel who are these towering figures in, uh, of, of faith and of the history of the people of God. And if you just like flip left in your Bible and you start reading in Genesis and you read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, like, their lives are full of these moments. Of, of disappointment. Even long stretches, seasons of disappointment, where things are not going right, and they're struggling, and it's not going the way that they want. Uh, Abraham, 100 years old before the son is born to him that God had promised him. We waited a long time. Later, God tells him to, to take that son and sacrifice him, testing his trust that God would be able to raise him from the dead. And, and he goes, and he's willing, and God stops him, but, like, that is, that's not an easy day for Abraham. Jacob, uh, he, his life is arguably more of a struggle. His whole life is this struggle between uh, deceiving and being deceived, and, like, all this uh, family drama stuff with his uh, his, his wives, his uncle, he's, uh, he's tricked into marrying uh, someone he didn't want to marry and then he, he has to like, work for free for a really long time f- to, uh, to marry his wife and, um, and he has all these kids but his wives are kind of competing against each other and creates all this friction and then he favors the youngest and then all his other kids get together and beat him up and sell him into slavery and it's just all bad things that are happening um, and yet, when you kind of zoom out, and, and even when you get to the point, you know, generations later that Moses is here, and they look back at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they see how their lives are used as part of God's plan, and God established this covenant with them, and he was faithful in their lives, and he brought them through, and they get to see all of that because their lives are part of God's plan, which is bigger than them, bigger than they are, bigger than themselves, it means all those moments of frustration and disappointment and suffering and loss, they're all used as part of that plan, and it makes them meaningful. They're not meaningless. They, they matter, and those are the things that God is using to accomplish his bigger purpose. It's the same for Moses now, it, what, when Moses is, exp- what Moses is experiencing is bigger than he is. It's, it's the plan to set the people of God free and bring them into the promised land, and it makes all of the difficulties and, you know, disappointments and, and uh, delays and suffering along the way, they all matter, they're all meaningful. I mean, that's something that all of us kind of crave, you know, when, when we're really suffering. We want to know, like, this isn't meaningless. It, it matters. It's doing something. When it's part of God's bigger plan than just us in our lives, we can see how that's true. And just as an extra encouragement to Moses, he has, he has a more privileged position than even the patriarchs. Abraham and and Isaac and Jacob did, because God reveals himself in a more intimate and familiar way. He gives his personal name, Yahweh, and he has this kind of closer and more intimate relationship with God than they ever did, And, and this is how God is guiding Moses to deal with this disappointment and how he's guiding us and how he's redirecting our thoughts. Like, Don't just think about yourself. Don't just think about your own plans and what you were hoping for and what you were picturing and what you wanted to do. If you're able to take a step back and see this is what God's been doing. This is what he's told me he's going to do. I'm in the middle of that. And so anything that's happening in my life right now this is part of God's plan and it's bigger than me And it's going to do something. It's going to do something that matters. In some ways, in some really significant ways, we're more privileged than Moses is. Like, I know it'd be cool to be Moses because he saw the burning bush, and he hears God speak, and he sees God's supernatural power at work over nature in these kind of massive things that happen in Egypt, in the wilderness, and that's all pretty amazing. But we know Jesus like, Moses never knew Jesus. We know God's plan for redemption, the redemption of the world through his son Jesus, and when we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit makes his home in us. Like Moses has God in front of him, we have God in us. Moses, he hears God speak, but he doesn't have the the Bible. He's actually he's writing it. He's the primary author of the first 5 books of the Bible. I doesn't write everything in them, but he's the primary author of the first five books of the Bible. We have the whole Bible. We have all of God's word. In all of God's word that that points to Jesus in this plan that was a mystery forever. And, and Moses really couldn't understand. When we, when we go to God with our questions... Um, how could you do this to me? How could you let this happen? This is what I wanted. This is what I was hoping for. This is what I was picturing, and now I've lost it. You know how God could respond to us and and maybe what he is saying to you. Same thing he does with Moses. This is who I am. I am the God who sent my son into the world to die for your sins because I love you. I have a plan for the redemption of this world. I am building a kingdom that will last for eternity. I am rescuing people out of darkness, out of brokenness and out of pain. I am bringing into people's hearts forgiveness and life and healing and hope and joy and peace. He could even speak more more personalized to you and, and start talking about your own story and you know heres here's all the stories of, of faith and sacrifice and suffering that have you know from your your parents and your mentors and your friends and all the people around you that have brought you to where you are now today and you yourself. He could assure you that what you're going through today that's accounted for in his plan that is continuing to rescue more people and build his kingdom and change lives and change hearts. Which makes everything that we're experiencing, it's not meaningless, it's not a waste, it matters. I know I said it's like petty to call Moses in the Hebrews um, like self-absorbed here, but I'm just gonna use that word for a minute. uh, Self-absorbed. If you are self absorbed in your thoughts and you can't get out of that and you're stuck in that place where your your disappointments revealing that you know you're you're stuck thinking about here's my plans here's what i wanted here's my disappointments here's what, how it's not working out what that's revealing is your life is really about you you're living for yourself and that's not a rare thing right that's the most common thing most people are living for themselves but if that's you that's not the most meaningful and satisfying and lasting thing that you could be living for, right? If that's you, if you're living for you and your own plans for your future and your your vision for what you want your life to be, if that's what you're living for, I mean, you could lose that. That could easily be taken from you and that could change in ways that you're powerless against. In Matthew 16, Jesus says this, that lasts forever. You can give your life to something that's eternal, but to be a follower of Jesus means you have to fundamentally change what your life is about and what you're living for. He says you have to die to yourself. You have to die to yourself, uh, living for yourself, living for your own plans, and, and follow him. That means real and practical, everyday changes in your life. It means Jesus' plans are more important than your own plans. His his uh, His ways are more important than your own ways. His mission is more important than your own mission. This is why he teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, uh, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But if that's the case, if I'm living for God and I'm not living for myself and I have to experience some kind of inconvenience or disappointment or suffering that disrupts my plans and how i thought my life was going to go rather than only thinking of myself and thinking about how this is messing everything up i can actually start looking for you know what this this is my life is part of god's plan he's sovereign he's good i know that he's using this for something and that means that it matters it means that there's some Redemption in this. Maybe I can't see it right now, but I trust him and I know that he's good. We're in a better position than Moses to make the decision to to change our lives. So, not living for myself, I'm going to live for God. We're in a better position than Moses to make that decision because we have Jesus. Galatians 2, verse 20 says this Paul is writing, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Those last words in this verse, if the, maybe the best thing that you could possibly do today for your, your spiritual health and your faith and, and your contentment, you could memorize, you could carve these last words into your mind and onto your heart the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know why you can can make your life about Jesus? You can make a decision to give your life to him, to live for him, and, and die to yourself? The reason you can do that is because he first gave himself to you. He loved you. He gave himself for you. He went to the cross. He paid the debt for your sins that you owe so you could be forgiven and set free by faith. When you put your faith in Jesus, that means that you depend on him alone and what he's done for your forgiveness and your salvation, not on I'm trying to be a good person, I go to church, I pray, I read the Bible, and, and because I do all these things, I think that you know, God might want to forgive me. None of that, only because of Jesus, only because of his grace, his love, and his work on the cross That's where my hope is. When your faith is in Jesus, you are forgiven. You're set free. You're given new life. Now, Exodus makes a little bit of a pivot here, which feels weird. If you just read through Exodus, what happens next feels very out of place and kind of dropped in, and it only really makes sense when you remember that like the Bible is actually written to an original like recipient. So like the original people who read Exodus, if you put yourself in their position, like the first generation after Exodus happens, uh this starts to make a lot of sense. So look at this in verse 10 says this, so the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh king of Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Um, Moses, as we've seen, This isn't really the pivot yet, but it's starting to happen. Moses, as we've seen, he's not confident. He's not confident in himself that he can be like any part of this. He tries to get out of it. He tries really hard. God doesn't let him. Uh, We see his flaws pretty clearly and pretty regularly as we're reading through this. Uh, And what happens next in Exodus, the very next verse, is we get a genealogy. We get the genealogy of Moses. And now, You know, you guys know the deal. We've been in Exodus for like two months now, and you know how we preach in this church. We go through books of the Bible, and so some of you guys, I'm sure you've been reading ahead, and for some of you, um, you like, this is what you've been waiting for, right? Like, this is what you get excited about. You guys go nuts for genealogies. You never skip them in your Bible reading, and you wish there were more genealogies in the Bible, actually, because they're so great. Chronicles is like the first 10 chapters of First Chronicles. It's like your favorite part of the Bible because it's just names for 10 chapters. Um, for the rest of you who think genealogies are boring, you're wrong. Uh, no, I mean, they can be. I Chronicles, I have to like deep read it once, and I just kind of speed read it now anytime I get there. Um, there are interesting and important, like, if you're going to read genealogies, it's great to do it with a resource like a study Bible or, or, um, or a commentary. Like, those are great. Uh, but for the genealogy here in Exodus 6, where it's dropped into narrative, it's dropped into narrative for a reason. Um, and, uh, and so let's take a look at it first, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the reason. So verse 14, I'm going to read all of this. I'm just going to read the names however I think to read them in the moment. So, you know, bear with it. Uh, verse 14, these are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the sons of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, um, Jamin, I don't know. It just feels like 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 Ska or something, I don't know. Uh, Ohad, Joshin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations. And Levi is, is the tribe that uh, Moses and Aaron are in. Um, the the sons of Levi. Uh, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon. Libni and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amron, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years, the sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites, according to their generations. Amran took as his wife Joshebad, his father's sister, weird, and she bore him, er, uh, Aaron, and Moses, the years of the life of Amran being 137 years, the sons of Izar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. the sons of Uziel, Mishael, uh, Elzaphan and Sithri Aaron took as his wife Elisheba the daughter of Amminadab and the sister of Nashon and she bore him Nadab Abihu Eleazar and Ithamar sons of Korah Asir Elkanah, and Abiasaph. these are the clans of the Korahites Eleazar Aaron's son took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel and she bore him Phineas These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Oh. All right, that's done. I don't have to read it ever again uh, out loud. I do read it in my head. Um, you you kind of, like, we, we miss some of the things not having the, the resource open to really take a deep dive into this. And what really the reason we miss out a lot on this compared to the original readers of Exodus is because, like, this is their immediate history. Uh, The original readers of Exodus is the very next generation after the events of Exodus happen, all right? And so, in terms of, like, historical distance, the original readers of Exodus to Moses, that's, like, me to JFK. Like, Like, he's right there. Like, you know, I'm th- I was never alive when he was alive, but I know he's this historical figure. I know he was a leader. Um, I, I, I don't know anything really about what he was like, or, um, you know, I never could have run into him. Uh, I know at least one person didn't like him very much. Um, sorry, that was a bad joke. Uh, but, like, that's how it is to, for, for Moses. Like, there's this removal, and he's become this historical figure, and so you kind of fill in the blanks with him because they didn't actually know him. They didn't walk with him or talk with him. Uh, Moses is this, he himself becomes this towering figure in the Bible and the history of Israel, and later generations venerate him very much. But when you read Exodus and you get a close-up look at his life, you mar- might start to wonder, like, is this, is this the Moses? Is there, like, another one, you know? Uh, And that's like in verse 26. It's so funny. You can see, like, this is the point they're making. Um, These are the Aaron and Moses. Like, we got the right ones, you know? Um, It's this Moses and this Aaron. Uh, Not only do we get a close-up look at Moses, and he's this indecisive, reluctant man who claims he can't speak well. He won't even do it. He makes Aaron do it for him. Uh, not not only do we see those flaws really up close that you you might not expect to see from someone who's like a who's like a George Washington like a legendary kind of figure in in their history, um, his whole family's pretty messed up too, and that's what we see in the genealogy. Like, I I don't know if you well I kind of I kind of you know made a comment about it as we read through Moses' father is married to his own aunt, which is weird, right? Um, like Moses' mom, he calls her Aunt Mommy. Like growing up, I don't know. Like it's a it's a strange relationship. Uh, Korah, the original readers of Exodus, Cora uh, is a pretty significant name because after the Hebrew slaves are led out into the wilderness, Korah leads a rebellion against Moses and Aaron and, and against what God's revealed that He wants for His people. Uh, Korah is Moses' cousin and God causes the earth to open up and to swallow him in the rest of his rebellion. Uh, it's a pretty infamous incident. Um, Aaron's sons, Aaron becomes high priest in Israel and the tribe of Levi, they are the clan of priests. They're the priestly clan in, uh, in Israel who oversee all the worship ordinances for the people of God and Aaron is a high priest. Two of his sons they, um, they are inappropriate in the way that they go about their duties, so much so that God, uh, God kills them. And, uh, and God, Aaron actually has to like, plead with God for his remaining sons because they also uh, you know, are, are a little flippant in their, their duties as well. And so uh, one of the things Exodus 6 wants, us, wants to do is it wants to prevent us from making like this mythical hero figure out of Moses because that's what we tend to do when we m- we turn someone into a hero uh we we exaggerate their goodness and we diminish their badness uh they they were always doing the right thing. They were always making the right decisions. They were always brave and courageous. They were always righteous and good. We ignore or reject or pretend that anything bad about them wasn't there. We turn them into things that they're not. The Bible doesn't let us do that, which is actually one of the things that makes it pretty reliable. Like, you can trust the honesty of the Bible, because Moses is the one who's writing this, and he's the one who's like being very upfront about uh, his own flaws and where he's, he's um, not measuring up. Uh, John Calvin writes about that if you read Institutes of the Christian Religion, which is a massive book, but it's towards the very beginning. Um, but he says, because the Bible is critical of its own figures, its own leading, establishing figures, y- you can be pretty confident that it's telling the truth about them. Right? Moses, David, Abraham, Paul, Bible's very clear about the flaws in all of these men. It's the truth of Romans three that says no one is righteous, not even one. Like, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Some people fall way short, right? And and we see the moments where that happens in, in these these uh, you know establishing figures in the people of God in their lives. We see that happening. The only person the Bible lets us make into a hero is Jesus. Like, Jesus is the only one without flaws. He lives a perfect, sinless, righteous life. He perfectly conforms to the will of his Father. And it's, it's because of that that we can put our, our hope in him. He's the hero who will never let us down, the, the hero who's faithful even through death. You would understand for Moses, being the, the author of Exodus, the temptation to, like, edit some things out, but but he doesn't do that. There's a change in Moses. There's a change in Moses from Exodus 6 to the time that he's writing Exodus 6. Where he's not, it's not all about him anymore. He's not living for himself. It's not what his life is really mainly about. It's about something much bigger than him. It's about God and God's plan in the world and the work that he's doing. that's more than just Moses. That's God's uh, power and his plan to change lives and change hearts and to heal and forgive and set people free and, and ultimately to give us the hope of eternal life. Uh, Moses, that change doesn't happen immediately. He walks with God for a long time. And as he spends more time walking with God, he sees more about who God is. He, he sees God is trustworthy, God is good, he's faithful to his promises. He does bring redemption, he brings, he brings beautiful things out of, out of this darkness that I couldn't even imagine, right? He uses terrible things, he uses the, the terrible treatment of the slaves in Egypt and everything they experience to, uh, to, to lead up to this beautiful moment of redemption and leading the people out into freedom. You might be someone who, like wherever you are in your own faith, you might still be exploring your faith and you haven't made a decision yet. You might be someone who's been walking with Jesus for a long time. Whatever point you happen to be at, let me ask you this. When you get bumped into when something happens and you experience that disappointment, what are the things that spill out of you? What are the things that are inside you? What does that bump reveal about you? Where do your thoughts go? Are your thoughts revealing that you're mainly living for yourself and, and your own plans for what you want your life to be? And that's something that you could lose, it's something that your disappointment could take from you? If that's what you're living for, are you okay with that? Do you want your life to be about something big or something eternal? Maybe what gets revealed about you when, when you do get bumped is, is that your life really is about Jesus. You go, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know what it means, but I trust that God is using this. I trust that He has a plan for redemption. He has a plan to make all things new. He's bringing more people into his kingdom. I trust him. I want to be part of that. This can be part of that. Where what do you turn to for support? What do you turn to when you are suffering severe disappointment? What do you go to to help get you through it? Do you do you turn to a distraction, something that just takes your mind off it, uh, and and numb yourself to it, or or do you? Do you turn to God? Do you turn to Jesus in faith? And say, Jesus, would you give me strength for this? Would you give me hope? Would you give me peace? Would you show me the way? Do you make him to be your support? Is your support something that is strong enough to handle the worst things that life can throw at you? Because it will. If it hasn't yet, it will. Is your support strong enough? If you haven't yet, you can make the decision. You can turn to Jesus. You can make him your support. He is the hero of the story. He's the one who won't fail, who won't let you go, and who can carry you through everything. Let me pray for us.